You're listening to a live audio recording from Women's Bible Fellowship at LEFC. This is week nine of Sacred Rhythms on the topic of fellowship. So last week, Cindy laid a great foundation for us, like from a theological perspective. Ultimately, this design for community and fellowship is rooted in God himself because he is triune. Father, Son, and Spirit. And while all of us bear God's image personally because he created us, there's a specific aspect to imaging him that we have to do together in relational community. God said it was not good for Adam to be alone, and so he created Eve. Now, while that passage is talking about the first marriage, the first family, you don't have to be married to image God in relational community. We have the church. We have male and female. We have fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters in the faith. There is beauty and necessity to living in this design that God has given us. That's what we're going to be talking about today. So I want you to think about what brings people together in community in the first place. So like at a grassroots level, sometimes community is intentionally built and sometimes it just happens naturally. So what sort of things bring people together in this manner in the first place? Common experience or a shared, shared something, shared interest. Yes, experience. interest, experience. Could be location. Location? Mm-hmm. Yep. What did, you, what did you say? Location. location. Mm-hmm. There's so many of these things, but ultimately, you're right, Kim, it's all a common denominator. There's some sort of commonality that brings us together. Maybe you've heard this C.S. Lewis quote before. He says, friendship is born at that moment when one person says to another, what, you too? I thought I was the only one. For all of the diversity that we have relationally, it's a proven fact that our relationships almost always begin with a common denominator, and that's a good thing. So what are people seeking in community when we gather around this commonality? What sort of thing are people seeking? What do you think? I think people are seeking how, how do I maneuver down this path? Okay. How are you doing it? Yeah. How are you successful? Yeah. Help, help me. That's like, especially true with a common experience, I feel like, too. Yeah. yeah. If you've got... Five children. How do I? How do I live? Right. You know? <laughs> there should be a club for people with five children. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Or when you're at another stage in life, like where we are, mm-hmm. we live in a 55 and older community. So it's what do we have in common? I was just telling the girls. There's a lot of widows and widowers. Well, I'm not a widow, I, I, but. We can minister to people who've lost. Mm-hmm. That that happens a lot when you're in, mm-hmm. in my community. Yeah. Judo. So learning from one another, care of one another, yeah. is what I hear you saying. Yeah. Anything else comes to mind? Affirmation. Affirmation. Yeah. Sometimes it's just friendship. Mm-hmm. That's not a just like that's a huge driving factor. There's also just like the desire to be known, a sense of belonging. I mean, we even go so far as to seek our identity and purpose sometimes in these groups that we become a part of. 
So I think it's safe to say that just about all forms of community follow this template. It starts with a common denominator. That's what we were talking about. Something that brings us together. And then the next layer of that is there's some sort of shared values. A lot of times this is implicit. Sometimes it's in black and white, but there's some sort of shared values that we are agreeing to. There's personal and mutual benefit. So my presence in this community is benefiting me, but it's also benefiting others that I'm showing up and that I'm here. At least that's how it should be. And then sometimes there is outgoing benefit to the community. And something deep inside of us is wired for this. I think it's so fascinating that we have become so individualistic in America, but yet we still gravitate to these little groups and communities, even if it's just a Facebook group. No matter how strong we think we are on our own, we still seek out these connections, even subconsciously, because we're created as relational beings. This is evidence of that. And so we often will create this pseudo-fellowship to meet these deep needs that God has wired us with for connection and belonging and purpose. So I want you to flesh this out a little bit. How would we fill in this template for the community of a book club? Okay, nothing spiritual about this. You have a bunch of ladies gathered together. They're reading a fictional book. What's the common denominator? You like to read. Yeah, it's not, don't overcomplicate it. You like to read. That's what brought you together. What about shared values? What is something that's important to the group and you will function accordingly? You're thinking too hard. It's that we think reading is important. Yeah, okay. We think reading is important. We're willing to take the time. It's kind of like participating in WBF. We're willing to give the time to read the book and then willing to give the time to show up at the meeting and dialogue together. There could also be an aspect of we value learning from each other's perspectives, okay? These are shared values. Nobody's saying that, but that's what, how you're functioning. What about personal and mutual benefit? You like friends? Yes. I was thinking about this. I'm like 95% of book clubs are just women that want to hang out, right? Like. <laughs> Yeah, so if you want to get super, yeah, so then there's also like the sharpening of ideas and perspectives, like we said. But yeah, I think friendship is the main reason why we gather in something like a book club. What about outgoing benefit? Is there outgoing benefit to a book club? Your husband keeps the children. Yeah. <laughs> Freedom! <laughs> Can you think of anything that benefits other people? Yes. Yes. That's a great, yeah, that's a great viewpoint. Yeah, so there could be that. I mean, that sort of outgoing benefit is very different from like a group that is fighting human trafficking, okay? But there still is some element of outgoing benefit, hopefully. Not all groups have this, but generally there's some element of this. Now, I've got to show you this. So my daughter had an assembly at her school the other week. She's a middle schooler. And it was for substance abuse prevention. So they had a presentation, and then they were invited to sign a pledge. You know what I mean? Like, stir up everybody's emotions, get them to sign the pledge. And if they sign the pledge, they get a free T-shirt. 
So she's like, can I stand the pledge? I'm like, sure, if you want to stand the pledge. And so she came home with this t-shirt. And when I saw it, I was like, oh, I need to borrow that. <laughs> so this is your object lesson this morning. It says, the power of one, one baron, which is our mascot, one family, one community. What? <laughs> Now, this is kind of a play on words. It's like each one person is taking a responsibility for their own health and choices. But the idea is, is that there's tremendous power in everybody being unified around this value and this commitment. So I went on their website, and they explicitly stated they are a community of support for recovering addicts, and then they do a ton of prevention work in schools as well. So they have a vision and mission statement, and they even have this long list of shared values. They called them values of our organization. And they weren't all negative things, like don't do drugs. There was positive things, like character traits they were looking to build into people on the positive side. So this stuff is everywhere. This is a legitimate organization, but just think, where do you have this type of informal community, just like in your everyday life? Is it in your neighborhood, at the gym, or you come here to a ladies' workout night? Is it um, at your kid's school? There's so many different places where we have this and we're functioning in such a way. So even if no one ever writes down your shared values <laughs> or makes a mission statement, you have a common denominator, something that brought you together in the first place. You have shared values in some manner. This is how we function. There's personal and mutual benefit, and there's possibly outgoing benefit as well. Now, I hope you see where this is going. These things are all true of a Christian community too. So your common denominator is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is what brings us together. We have shared values. We have orthodox beliefs that Christians have held to for 2,000 years. We have the authority of scripture we have a moral code that's written for us in God's commands. We know that we are citizens of God's kingdom, and that brings with it a sense of values. There, there's so much personal and mutual benefit to a Christian community. But for the sake of this conversation, I want you to think of it um, in terms of our sanctification. This is a huge benefit to being in relational community with one another. And then the outgoing benefit of the church should be obvious, right? We're never meant to be a stagnant community, but we're meant to be outward focused and looking to bring life and flourishing to others through the gospel. But there's one huge difference between the church and any other community, and that is the bond of the Holy Spirit. So we're not just signing up for this community and saying, yes, this is, I'm, this is a common ground for me. These are my shared values. We're not signing up for it in the same way that we would the PTO, okay? This is a package deal that comes with salvation found in Christ. Do you need to come to a personal relationship with Christ to be forgiven of your sins? Yes, of course. But you are born again into a family. New DNA, new bloodlines that connect you not only to Christ, but to one another. Ephesians 4, 4 through 6 says there is one body and one spirit, 
Just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. That, my friends, is the true power of oneness. The same Holy Spirit that dwells in me connects me to Abraham and David and Mary and Paul. And he connects me to these Puritan brothers whose prayers we're praying today. And he connects me to you all. And he connects me to my great-great-grandkids that have yet to be born, have yet to place their faith in Christ, the Lord willing. You can't opt out of that reality. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, Christ opened up the way to God and to our brother. May we desire to live out the reality of that union that we have with one another because we're in Christ. So I wanted to start with this framework because I think we can often think of Christian community as an ideal or even an option instead of a spiritual reality, something that already is. And what I want you to understand is that the bond of the Holy Spirit has tethered us to one another in the family of God, whether or not we choose to engage. So to take this one step further as well, engagement doesn't mean just showing up at church on a Sunday morning. That's important. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. But simply being present doesn't automatically produce the relationships we need and desire. You know this. You felt it. So this is where I need to switch to the word fellowship. Because this word is so much more indicative of the quality of relationships that we have within that community. Oftentimes your ideal of Christian community is that a fellowship. That's actually what we mean. Cindy introduced this word last week. It's the word that's actually found in scripture. Defining it as participation, sharing in, communion, a relationship in the spirit, intimacy. First, what I want to look at is why God designed our spiritual lives to work this way. We've already acknowledged we are created as relational beings, but what specifically is the spiritual dimension of that? And then second, how do we cultivate fellowship? So we started with this idea of imaging God, how we're designed to image him together, rightly interdependent and unified in Christ. This glorifies God to a watching world. But specifically here, we're talking about fellowship as a sacred rhythm, like as a spiritual discipline. And what is the goal of these sacred rhythms? Yeah, sanctification, our growth and holiness, closeness and conformity to Christ. So the question that we're really seeking to answer is how does fellowship with other believers aid our growth and holiness? What is God's good design for this? And as I thought about the different ways that fellowship helps to sanctify us, it just became apparent that it can really be boiled down into two categories. It counteracts the negative. It helps us to battle those things which hinder our growth. And then it also reinforces the positive, those things which cultivate our growth. So I mentioned two weeks ago that growing in holiness will produce an increased awareness 
and hatred of our sin. And again, if you are unaware or knowingly comfortable in your sin, that's going to be a massive hindrance to this growth and this closeness to Christ that you are desiring. So if, again, if you don't know where to start, start by asking the Spirit to show you. Help me see, like, what does my sin look like in everyday life? My, my thoughts, my attitudes, my words, my actions that are not pure and good and lovely. And so it goes that the illumination and confession of sin is actually the first point here. 1 John 1, 5 through 9 says, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That sounds a lot like sanctification to me. Now this plays out in a variety of ways. It may just be that simply relating to other people is going to bring up those sinful tendencies in all of us. You know what I'm talking about. Or it may be that you develop some level of closeness to these people and they know you really well. And that they have the ability to speak into your life and just lovingly call out these things that they see that are not of God. We all have blind spots. This is a really good thing. So the second point here is to fight temptation. 1 Corinthians 1, 12 and 13 says, Therefore, if anyone thinks that he stands, take heed, lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So yes, we should always turn to the Lord in these moments of weakness. But sometimes the fellowship of believers is that means of escape. When you have a negative thought pattern that is just threatening to take you out one day, or if you have zero patience left to deal with your kids, what would it look like to phone a friend? It only takes a few seconds to be like, hey, I am struggling with this today. Would you just pray for me? Like bring the struggle into the light and bring in another to fight alongside of you. The next point is accountability. Galatians 6, 1 and 2 says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. When we are for one another's sanctification, we're going to be on the lookout for one another. For example, there's a situation that I'm facing right now in real life where I could very easily resort to pride or resentment. And I told this to a friend this week because I know that I need her eyes on me. So now she has given, I've been given her permission to check in on me and to make sure that my heart is in a good place. In doing so, she is helping me to guard my heart against sin. This is what it looks like. And lastly, is to protect against deception. 
Ephesians 14 and 15 says, Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. There is a battle for your heart and mind, and all the enemy has to do is submerge you in culture and then isolate you from other believers. We need each other's perspectives to sharpen our own and also to correct us when we stray from the truth. Spiritual isolation is a breeding ground for false beliefs. I have a question. Yes, ma'am. I'm listening to all this and I'm thinking, and tell me if I'm wrong, women are better at this than men. I think, by and large, yes. I'm not saying that as an accusation towards men, Mm -hmm. but I know that men sometimes they're not accountable to others. They keep it, everything. I mean, we do too. But sure. I'm not a package in, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I think women have a, a, a bit sure. towards being together and sharing yeah. with each other. And I think as we get into like how to cultivate fellowship, you're going to see the way that we're wired. We're relational beings. That doesn't mean we automatically go to fellowship, though. Right. I mean, we're social beings, right? But, um, yeah, I think there's definitely a difference in the genders. There's strengths and weaknesses. I would say, like, though, we probably have some insecurities and fears that maybe the guys don't. You know, there's different, there's different pros and cons to each, sir, for sure. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about some reinforcement of the positive, shall we? So we're not only fleeing and guarding and fighting, but we're also pursuing holiness and faithfulness and obedience. So first of all, Fellowship provides a greater knowledge of God. Ephesians 1.17 says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Right knowledge of God increases our affections for him. And that transforms who we are and how we live. Do you realize that we can know God better through being in fellowship with his people? In fact, J.I. Packer actually defines fellowship this way. He says, a seeking to share in what God has made known of himself to others as a means to finding strength, refreshment, and instruction for one's own soul. It specifically broadens our understanding of God and corrects those misconceptions. The next is encouragement to love and obey God. Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. We all grow forgetful or lethargic at some point. We need the fellowship of the regular gathering and in these pockets of everyday life to recalibrate us, to remember who God is, who we are in Christ, to strengthen us in our personal discipline and refocus us on the mission of the kingdom. And one of the benefits of encouragement is perseverance. Hebrews 10, 34 and 35 to 36 
says, do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. Listen, this is a long journey, right? We all have days and seasons of discouragement where anxiety or doubt or suffering just makes us want to throw in the towel. God often uses the difficult things to sanctify us. I'm sure many of you have experienced that. But that can be so hard to believe in the midst of whatever it is you're going through. We need each other to speak that gospel truth and hope on those hard, dark days. We need someone to come alongside us and exhort us to press on. Keep going. This is worth it. So these are tremendous benefits to our sanctification. They're personal benefits, yes, but they should also be mutual benefits. There's a, there's a giving and a receiving in this fellowship because we are all pursuing holiness out of love and reverence for God together. So the question remains is how do we cultivate fellowship? The preliminary step is we've got to show up. We've just got to show up, both to the weekly gathering of God's people and in each other's lives. So yes, I mean your physical embodied presence, but what I really mean is a willingness to engage. A willingness to engage. And I understand there's a lot of things that interfere with this. We're going to talk more about that next week. But what we really want to know is what practical steps can I take to create or cultivate fellowship? And so I just have two simple suggestions for you, okay? The first is to practice the spiritual disciplines together. Listen, I don't offer many shortcuts. Y'all know that. But if you want to fast track to fellowship, gather people around the scriptures or gather people in prayer. That will get you to talking about things that matter. I hope that you experience that here at WBF. And there are also many other spiritual disciplines that we didn't even talk about in this class, like worship and service and evangelism and fasting. These are things that you can do with other people too. These things form us and change us and bind us together. That's one of the reasons why we need to show up to the weekly gathering of God's people because going through that worship and those rhythms and the learning and the prayer and the singing together is unifying us in Christ. And the second is just intentional conversation. Are you fellowshipping with other believers or are you socializing? You know the difference that this feels. There's nothing wrong with socializing. That's a part of all of our relationships. But if that's all we do, then we're never actually opening the gift of God's fellowship. Donald Whitney describes the difference in fellowship conversation as talking about God, the things of God, and life from a uniquely Christian perspective. So do your conversations with believers sound different or the same as that with unbelievers? This involves some level of transparency. And it also involves asking good questions, being a good listener, and having the truth of God on our lips. And the final thing I want you to understand is that as much as fellowship benefits you, it also benefits others when you show up. 
because if you've been practicing these spiritual disciplines in your own life, you're seeking to walk closely with Christ and to be conformed to him, then that changes who you are. And when you show up in that space, you are able to benefit others as well. Like I said, it's this constant giving and receiving. God has designed this beautiful two-way street to purify and to strengthen his church. Thank you.